So as we open this morning, let me pray and then we'll dive into it. Father God, thank you for uh, the time today. Father, as we just sang, you are incredibly worthy and we are incredibly unworthy. And Father, we just thank you this morning that part of your worthiness is the fact uh, that you are a God of loving kindness and a God of loving kindness towards us and towards the world. And Father, you wish us to display that same kind of loving kindness towards those around us. And so we pray today as we unpack this this morning that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds, and that you would help us to see where we can be changed to be more like you as we appreciate your kindness to us and display it to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to do this in an interview style. Um, I'll ask a few questions. They'll respond, uh, and we'll just kind of have a dialogue. So um, Jeff and Shanti, welcome. We're great to have you here. Um, The first thing I want to do is just maybe let people have a little chance to get to know the two of you a little bit better. Um, So tell us a little bit about yourselves, where you're from, work life, kids, you know, those kinds of things. Sure. You want me to start? Um, Sure. You go first. We live in Atlanta. We actually met in graduate school in Boston where we sang in a Christian a cappella group. She was more like Gladys Knight and I was more like one of the pips. So, but... uh, that was, that was kind of how we, we met and started in, in Atlanta. We have two kids, a senior in college, an engineering student at Georgia Tech, and a senior in high school. Okay. Yep. And so how did you guys uh, get to where you are today with this ministry that, that you're doing? Oh, man. There's, okay, I'll make a short version of a very long, crazy right. story. So one of the things that we told the, the group last night is that normally, if you have people who are talking about, like, relationship stuff... What's the normal, like, profession of the person standing on stage and talking? Like, you're normally, like, a psychologist or something, right? You're counselor of some counselor, sort. Counselor, right, pastor. And that is not our background at all. We, we both have very analytical backgrounds. And um, I got a graduate degree that was very analytical. Jeff got a law degree. And he and the two Jeffs have been bonding over their mutual law degrees. Um, and how it messed us up. Well, I wasn't going to say that, but, you know. Um, But it's interesting. I I actually worked on Wall Street and had no idea that God was going to use that sort of completely different way of looking at things in order to eventually help relationships. And so there was just a a real right-hand turn where, too long of a story, but where God made it really clear that this was supposed to be this kind of background and studying and research and digging into people to help um, people thrive in their lives and in their relationships. I think she's being really kind. She was just simply confused by my actions (laughs) and by me. And she said, is he the only one? And so then she started delving into men. And quite frankly, as a guy, Us guys don't talk about this stuff, so we always feel like we're the only one who's just kind of weird in these things. And so what her research helped not only her understand us, but it helped me understand me and me to understand that I'm not alone. I might be weird, but so are all the other guys out there. (laughs) And women. And it's the same thing. It was truly a God thing. The the books that Jeff is holding uh, for women only and for men only are probably the ones we're most well known for, and that's what he was talking about. Literally, 
I mean, this was truly just a God thing. Within that book, within um, how many, however many years, when it first came out, it has now sold more than a million and a half copies, that book alone. And it's in 26 languages. And it's, I mean, that is not something you can make happen. That is just something that God did in order to try to help, for these two at least, um, men and women understand one another. And that, I think, was my first exposure to the two years ago when those mm-hmm. books first came out, um, was the, the, the For Men Only and For Women Only. But today we want to talk a little bit about kindness. So the question is, I guess, how did you come to discover kind of the need and the value <laughs> of the kindness challenge? Well, it's interesting because we've now done 12 of these big nationally representative studies. Just so you guys know, that's kind of the hallmark of where God has led us, taking this analytical background and trying to use it to help relationships. And so we do these big studies to help, um, you know, men and women understand each other, or maybe it's helping parents understand their kids or people in the workplace or whatever it is that we're studying. And because we sort of feel called to dig out the little things that make a big difference, sort of, if you're just going to have this one little change, what's the change that's going to be the most high impact, right? You make this little change and it has this big impact on your life. And when I went back and I started looking through all the studies we'd done over the years, there was really clearly this thread running through all of them. And it's the reverse of what we think. And the reality is um, that whether you're thriving in your life, whether you're thriving in your relationships with your spouse or your kids or your boyfriend, girlfriend, or kid, you know, friends at school or whatever, it turns out it is far more related to how you are treating other people than how you yourself are being treated. And that's really the reverse of what we think because when we're trying to you know, have a good life, we honestly try to get, make sure everything's fair, right? Like that's what we think, that's what's gonna make us happy and that's what's gonna make us thrive. And it turns out, yeah, it's not like having things be fair is bad, but if we focus on that, we miss the thing that's the most important, which is for our happiness, our thriving, is for how, is how we treat other people in the end, is far more related to it. So that's where the kindness challenge came from. And I can resonate with the, the fairness thing. My favorite Calvin and Hobbes story is the world, and one with Calvin ends with saying, yeah, but why isn't the world unfair in my favor? That's <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And that's how I often feel. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting. I think that's how all of us feel. And the problem, candidly, is that, you know, if, if we're talking about sort of how we treat other people, it's basically all about us being kind, right? Like that's the bottom line. It's if you want a better life, if you want a better marriage and better friends at school and a better, be a better leader at work, it's all about being kind. And the problem is, is that we already think we are kind. And truly, it is one of these things that we do not realize we are deluded <laughs> and every day. We are not being those people that we think we are. Okay, so I'm the kind of guy that likes to get practical really fast, but one of the things I want to do is stop for just a minute and back up and say, okay, so we're meeting in church today, so let's stop for a second and go back and say, let's talk about kindness biblically, scripturally. 
And while we talk about this, there's a few scriptures that are going to just kind of show up on the screen as context, but we'll continue to just kind of talk through this as we go. Um, but one of the things I know you talk about in the book is that yeah. um, kindness is kind of a superpower um, in the sense that it's supernatural um, in what it does um, in relationships. And so it's obvious there's something unusual about kindness in how God designed the world and how he reveals himself to us. So let's just talk a little bit about in scripture, how do we see kindness manifesting itself, both in terms of God, how God treats us, and then in turn, what that means for how we treat each other. Yeah, I, one of the scriptures I know that uh, you'll come to if, if is it's, Are they on the screen? it's the, on the screen kindness of God mm. that leads to repentance in Romans where he talks or Paul mentions that. And as I was thinking on that, actually just this morning, it was it struck me the progression of that. It's kindness that happens first leading to repentance if Jeff, in my natural way of thinking it, I like to see repentance first, and then I am willing and able to offer kindness in return. For example, um, we live in Atlanta. Atlanta traffic is sometimes um, difficult. If, if you've ever driven down to Florida, which I know many of you have, you probably try to time it so that you do not hit Atlanta traffic at rush hour. <laughs> Everybody is It's almost impossible to do. Let me just tell you, because rush hour is everywhere. And what ends up happening in traffic, let's just say that there is that obvious, that construction or whatever, where a lane is closed. And you can see that it's closed and there is a sign that says merge. And me, as a upright Midwesterner by birth, (laughs) I merge when it tells me to merge. But there are always those cars that choose not to. And so as we get to where that lane eventually runs out and the cones are there, I'm probably up a little closer to the car in front of me because (laughs) I am protecting the world from anarchy and ensuring that (laughs) democracy flourishes. So therefore, but if that person were to come up on my side and go, I'm so sorry. I missed the warning. And I just, I would feel totally fine with letting them in. Because they were repentant. They were repentant. But otherwise, I'm Uh -uh. not so sure about that. And what ends up happening is I am doing absolutely the opposite of the progression of the scripture. Now, I can't ensure that my willingness to let that person in front of me is that they are then going to be led to repentance (laughs) and see the errors of their way and never do that again. But that's not up to me. My first job and all I can do is control the kindness that's offered. Well, and it's also, you're talking about being bulletproof and the superpower. And it's, it, it is interesting when you think of it as like a superpower and you think of that mean car who's being rude or the mean friend at school or whatever it is, right? And think of it as they're firing bullets, right? They, they are trying to cut in or they're being a bully or whatever. And it's interesting when you were like, oh, no, you don't, and you pull up on the bumper, you get more and more and more agitated. No, you are not getting in here. No, you are not treating me like that, whatever. And you get more and more upset. They're firing bullets, and they're hitting, right? 
But when you decide you're going to be kind, even though they do not deserve it, it's as if you back off, you let you wave the car in, or you say, I'm not going to respond to this bully at school. I'm going to be kind no matter what. Suddenly, all that agitation just lifts off of you, right? And it's like they're firing the bullets, but now they're bouncing off. And that's this crazy, miraculous power that kindness has. And it all begins, of course, with God showing his immense kindness to us. And if you want to throw up the Ephesians scripture, if you can, um, I, I did some study as we were getting ready. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, this is just amazing to me um, that talks about God's rich mercy. Um, and it all concludes at the end in verse 7 when it says, So then in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace mm-hmm. in kindness to us yep. in Christ Jesus. That is the crowning thing that he is going to be displaying for all eternity is the kindness he showed to us when Christ came to the earth, humbled himself, and died on a cross. And I look at that and say, if that is what God has done, and that's how God demonstrates his kindness, then it certainly has to translate as well on the horizontal level. Well, this is where it also dials in to the reality that most of us really need to grasp about ourselves. This concept of, you know, there's nothing in us that is like, oh, I deserve to be saved <laughs> because I'm, I am such a good person or, you know, because, well, God just loves me really well and because I'm so lovable. And recognizing once, and this is truly one of the things that I recognized once I started doing the 30-day kindness challenge myself and trying to put this into practice is I saw yet again the truth very directly of, yeah, I am not as kind as I think I am. And in fact, I am unkind. I am selfish. Whoa. Like there is so much in me that I, it it makes me go, wow, Lord, really, truly, you're reaching out to us, you know, sinful, selfish people That is this unbelievable, magnificent act of kindness. How can I not try to be kind to my neighbor in return? So focusing again on kind of the horizontal level, um, one of the other things that uh, you get to in the book um, is, again, how we're to act in our relationships with one another. Mm -hmm. And one of the points you focus on is when Jesus is talking about the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And one of the points I think you made in there that I think is not often as heavily emphasized when we think about the golden rule is really the context in which that command is given to us and how deep the implications of that are for what it really means in terms of showing kindness really means. So they're going to put the scripture up on the screen. Let's just unpack that a little bit. Do you want me to do it? You want me to start? So when Jesus was talking about do unto others as you would have them do to you, everybody around the world, every religious system or non-religious system, every ideological worldview, everybody treats their children the golden rule. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. It's, it's sort of considered a sweet, universal sentiment, Right? When you look at it in context, what Jesus is actually talking about 
is something very different than what we think. Because we always think, oh, you know, be kind to others uh, unless they're being a jerk at school, right? Or be kind to the, oh, but that person who is mistreating me at work or who's being obnoxious, I am under no obligation to be anything other than straightforward, get out of the, get out of the meeting as quickly as I can and just like not have anything to do with them. And it's easy to think when we have difficult people, that rule from Jesus kind of doesn't apply as much because we have to stand up for ourselves. And yeah, it's not like Jesus wants us to be mistreated. That's not what I'm saying. But that context, can we put that scripture back up? This, the context that Jesus was talking about was a context where you're being mistreated. He is specifically talking about exactly those most difficult situations and the most difficult people. For example, that you're, someone is stealing from you. They're taking your, your belongings. And he's saying in that passage, I want you to treat that person who is not being kind to you in the kind and generous and grace-filled way you wish they were treating you. That is what the golden rule is. It's not this sweet universal sentiment. It's a very hard, very challenging command. And the only way, I don't know about you guys, but the only way I can do something like that with someone who is being mean, I've been confronted the last year by some people who've been really, really unpleasant and mean, who have tried to tear down a bunch of stuff about our ministry and our family. And one of the things that I've recognized is that Jesus doesn't give me an out. I can't be mean back, even though it would feel really good sometimes, right? But isn't that what social media is for? sure feels like that's what it's for sometimes. And, and yet that's the, that's the hard thing is for us to go, how can I do this? When somebody is being so cruel to you, how do you do that? And it's truly only by the power of Jesus that you can do it, which is why it's ironic that people of all religions teach this to their children because they don't see what a hard thing Jesus is asking, and it's only by his power that that's going to happen. So when I think about myself, um, I go back to kind of this, that verse in Romans that says, I, why do I do the things I don't want to do, and why do I not do the things that I do want to do, right? I mean, it's that sin nature in us that's always rising up and, and wanting us to focus on other things. And so I, you know, I, I go back to scripture and as I was looking at this, there's like, you know, God, or Paul says in first Corinthians that kindness is one of the ways we show love mm. and that kindness is a fruit of the spirit. And I'm like, okay, that's all good. But then he helped me because he said, but that's also one of the things he said, I think in Galatians, that's one of the things we have to put on. Mm. It's not something that comes just naturally necessarily, but it's something we have to yeah. put on when we take the other things off. And so what I want to do is use that as a lead into, okay, so it's not something that necessarily is going to come naturally to me. And that's why I want to start to focus on the kindness challenge, because I know the challenge is very practical in saying, hey, there's, if you really want to change the way you, you practice kindness, there's a few very specific things 
that you need to do and you need to do all of them and do them this way for it to really work. So let's start with there and start to unpack that. Sure. I'd love for Shanti to do that. The, the thing that I've loved about this particular challenge is that it's not complicated. It doesn't take a master's degree in order to understand it and apply it. This is very, very simple stuff that every single one of us can do beginning today or whenever you all begin it. Yeah. The, so let me explain what we, it, we call this, we could have named it anything, but we call it the 30-day kindness challenge. And it's the result of a long study. It was about a three-year study in order to figure out what was the most effective at helping us actually become the people of kindness we already think we are, right? Like building a skill in this type of kindness that is Christ-like and will make a huge difference in any relationship. And so here's what you do. You, you, you pick someone, and you pick someone that you want a better relationship with. Now, you can do this for a spouse, like you've got a good relationship, you just wanna make it better, right? But it could be that you do it for somebody that you wanna like, really improve things with. Like I was telling the group last night, I, I did this for our 16-year-old daughter at the time because you know she she was a good kid but 16 right and had that attitude and that mom daughter thing i'm seeing some of the parents pat their kids on the head right now and so and uh, and, and there was that kind of mom daughter tension and i realized you know she's going to be going off to college in 2 years and i really want to make sure that we have a much better relationship by the time that happens and so you can do this for anybody as long, by the way, here's the one thing I would suggest. It has to be someone you see very regularly. Like if it's a difficult colleague at work that you have to work with a lot, or if it's a, a fellow student at school that you see a lot, but you don't see them on Saturdays and Sundays, that's okay. It just has to be someone you see physically regularly. And, and it's probably best in, in most cases not to tell the person Right. that you're doing it for them because you're exasperating me so much. I am going to spend 30 <laughs> days trying to figure out how that to not let that happen. Usually is not a good way to begin stuff the and process. to enhance a relationship. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so the, what you do for this person, once you've picked them and just start with one, it'll be tempting to, to try to do this for several people. You can do that later. First time, just do it for one person. Um, and if what you do is every day for 30 days, you do the same three things. So the first thing that you do is you don't say anything negative about that person, either to them or about them to somebody else. And that's often where we sabotage the relationship without realizing it. So that's the first thing. Well, the second thing is that you find every day you find one thing that you can sincerely praise or sincerely affirm about that person and you tell them and you tell somebody else. And then the third thing is to do a small action of kindness, small action of generosity for them every day, just one. And if you do those three things for 30 days, like Jeff said, it's so simple. But 89% of relationships improved. It really is quite dramatic. So let me ask you a question about uh, the focus of this being. Um, yep, there we go. Yeah, we'll put them all up there so you guys can take uh, notes if you want to. So um, uh, often I, I, 
people, let me go this way. People come to marriage conferences often because they say, I'm going to come because they'll say something to my spouse and my spouse will change for the better, right? (laughs) Um, And that's the easy way out. Um, This isn't really about necessarily changing the other person. I think that happens naturally as a part of it, but it's really about changing you. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's the simple process that what we focus on, that's what we kind of feel. And so if I am focusing on, darn, Shanti did that thing again, and I tell someone about it, do I feel better about Shanti or worse? I mean, <laughs> it, it just kind of agitates me. And that's not a positive thing for me. I mean, it is, look, I mean, for most of us, we want to be happy in our lives. We want to have peace in our families. And if the things that we've been doing haven't been yielding that happiness and peace, maybe we should try something different. And that's what this does. It, It changes me from thinking that it's, unless she changes, I'm never going to be happy. So I, the, one of the things I often hear uh, and I struggle with it myself is, well, I don't feel kind towards yeah. this person. And I don't I need to feel kind towards that person before I am kind. But you say it's actually the opposite. How does that really work? It's, it's really remarkable how the way God is, has created us and created our minds, created our literally our brain, like the way the limbic system and the emotional system of our sort of mind works um, it's, we think that our sort of, we feel a certain way and so we act a certain way. That's kind of, you know, the way we think it works. We don't realize that actually our actions, changing our actions is going to change how we feel. And it makes it dramatically different once we have our eyes opened to maybe, for example, a bunch of good things about this person that we didn't see before simply because we were so focused on how difficult the relationship was or how annoyed I was with a colleague. Literally, here's just an example of this. So we were speaking, I think it was you and me, speaking at a a marriage conference in California and Southern California somewhere, and a woman comes up to us afterwards And she said that she had had a really, really um, difficult relationship with a colleague. And it was somebody who was, um, somebody she had to work with really closely in order to get her job done. And so the fact that it was a difficult relationship made everything about her job harder and longer hours and just, she was disliking it more and more. And yet, for various reasons that she didn't explain, she felt like she couldn't leave the job. Like, I don't know if it just paid her a lot of money or what, but she felt like she couldn't leave. And she, she was getting more and more depressed because honestly, it felt like there was no hope. Like, this was just going to be the way her life was. And she said she heard about the 30-day kindness challenge and said, okay, I have to do this for this really difficult kind of semi-mean colleague who she saw as undermining her at every turn, like all these things. And so she said within, I think it's a few years ago, so I can't remember exactly, but I think it was within like five or six days, like it didn't take very long. She suddenly realized 
oh my gosh, like some of the reason the colleague is responding in these kind of harsh ways is that she sees me being unkind to her. She sees me as being super competitive for the attention of the boss and not being generous about sharing certain credit for things. And, and she, she had thought of herself as being completely innocent in the whole thing and started to realize this is just as much about me as it is about her. And then within another like half week, she started to see all these amazing things about this person. Wow, she's so good at such and such. And, you know, when I praise her in front of the boss, she turns around and tells them about this big project that I just did or how I stayed until 10 o'clock at night working. You know, I wouldn't have said that, but she said that about me. And she started talking about how amazing this, <laughs> this former enemy at work was. And she said now, and she started crying. I literally recorded this for my team so they could see this. She said that was about, I want to say about five or six months before that she had done the 30-day kindness challenge. And she said, literally, this woman is her best friend at work. And they have this unbelievable relationship. And because of that, now that they're not butting heads constantly, they're actually generating a lot of revenue for the company and they've, their stars have both risen. And she's loving working now because she has this great relationship. And it started with her making a completely only one-sided choice. And that dynamic is a perfect example of how she acted changed completely what she felt about this person. And she started seeing all these positive things and a lot of the negative things just didn't loom so large. So I want to, we talked, there's the three elements, which is nixing the negatives, positive praise, and doing the act of uh, kindness or generosity. Let's talk about the nixing the negative part. Um, my wife will tell you I'm a glass half empty guy. I would say I'm a realist. She would say I'm a pessimist. Um, but one of the things that I, I often feel like I have a need to do is to kind of like vent my negative emotions and that if I do that, I'll feel better. Um, but you say no. So talk about that a little bit. That's actually one of my favorite parts of the book in that, uh, the neurological studies around that. Because we've all heard that, you know, venting, it's like a tea kettle on the burner. You know, you got to let some steam off or else the top is going to blow. So it makes sense. It makes sense from a, you know, a story, a narrative. Yes. Yes. It it turns out that that may not actually be true, though. There's a uh, neuroscientist by the name of Brad Bushman. He's a a highly regarded neuroscientist, and he's a professor at Ohio State University. But nonetheless, (laughs) um, a good guy. And he actually studied this very topic and came to a different conclusion than what you and I think should normally happen. And that conclusion is... It's, It's basically, it turns out that... Instead of the analogy being that you're venting steam out and kind of letting out a little bit of pressure, instead, it's actually activating, turning on this interconnected anger system in the brain. And that the better analogy isn't venting steam. The better analogy is it's as if you're turning up the heat under the pot. Whenever you say, 
you know, this thing my colleague did or this person was so mean or whatever. It turns out that that is actually making it worse in your heart. Because it's activating those parts of your brain. It's activating those parts of your brain. And that one of the things that Dr. Bushman and other scientists have found is that actually if you refuse to do that, it's as if you're taking the pot off the burner completely. And it's interesting because we've so thoroughly thought this. I was doing a, a virtual event for a group of students at Georgia Tech in Atlanta. And one of the questions that I asked them in this virtual event was, how many of you think, you know, let's just say a professor is being very unfair to you. And it's become a thing and it's hurting your grades and, you know, whatever. Which is the best way, the healthiest way, the thing that will result in most wellness for you? What's the best way of handling it? And it was like, you know, different options, including, um, you know, don't say anything and instead look for something good about the professor. And one of the options was vent a little steam to a close friend or somebody who's supportive. 88% of the students chose that that was the healthiest option because that's just what we think. And we've been wrong about that. And I've been wrong about that for years. So really, this is an example of, if you don't quite believe us about this, don't believe it. Just try it and see what a difference that it makes. So the last item is uh, do an act of kindness or generosity towards something, someone else. Can you talk a little bit about kind of what that means? So do you want me to mm-hmm. start this? So it turns out that... Um, this is something you're doing that's really practical, and it's, it is taking that time or that energy or that focus or whatever it is that is doing an action of generosity for this other person that you're doing the 30-day kindness challenge for. It's telling them you matter, but it's doing more than that. It's telling you they matter. And it's interesting because we tend to think of an action of generosity or an action of kindness as being an act of service. And, you know, you've heard like the random acts of kindness movement, you know, where you pay for the beat up car, you know, behind you in the line at the drive through. And that's a random act of kindness, which is great. But this is targeted kindness. This is not a random act of kindness. This is targeted. And it, there are many different types of kindness and generosity Um, Like I I mentioned last night that for my daughter, when I was doing the kindness challenge for her, an action action of generosity that really mattered to her was she would come in and be like, hey, you know, mom, you know, I'd be at my home office working on a deadline or something. And she'd be like, hey, mom, can you watch this like YouTube video with with me? Look at how cute this is. You know, today it's TikTok or whatever. But, you know, can you, hey, take a look at this. Take a look at this. And for me, I would always be so busy that it was kind of like in an hour, honey, right? And an action of generosity for her was to take my attention off of what I was doing in that moment when she was excited about it, not an hour later. And that one little thing told her something really powerful about how I felt about her. And it, it also reminded me of how important this was. And that dynamic I can tell you honestly, she's now 21, so 16, 21. And I can tell you that that dynamic has carried through all these years now. 
And because I didn't realize what a big deal that type of generosity was to her. And so she still bombards us with TikTok videos and whatever. At midnight from last night, we got a WhatsApp <laughs> with a TikTok video. You have to see this. <laughs> but, but that's the kind of thing that, A, I wouldn't have known that it mattered. B, it wasn't an act of service. It was a type of generosity that mattered to her. So now I know it matters. And as you'll see with all the 30-day kindness challenge, you're not doing really a challenge. I was telling somebody that during the Sunday school this morning. It's don't think of this as, oh, this is 30-day challenge. Think of this as skill building. You're using, you're doing a boot camp for 30 days to build this skill that you didn't know you really needed. And it will carry on if you let it. It will carry on for the rest of your life because you've built a new skill. So that one is an example of where I've learned. I need and, to and be And if I can say real quick, um, on our next, on the research project that we just finished, we were working with a, a psychologist, a, an individual who for 30 years has been in counseling and psychology, um, and he's amazing. And Shanti asked him a question about difficult relationships that he has seen and worked with. And she said, you know, he would often say, look, is it a bad heart or is it bad skills that someone is evidencing that's creating the difficulty in the relationship? And she asked him, she said, okay, so in your 30 years of this, how many would you say that you've encountered that you'd say it was a bad heart where it was just, they're just a bad apple and you need to be, you know, careful, careful with that person. And he kind of went, um, maybe like six. And so she went, oh, 6%. That's, you know, that's, that's a kind of, uh, that's higher than I would have thought. And he said, no, six people out of 30 years, the vast, vast, vast majority of people in couples, it is bad skills. We just didn't know. We just didn't learn how to. But what that means is that we can know. And we can learn how to and change ourselves and change our relationship. So we're up on the end of time. There's one more quick question I want to ask because I think it's important, which is people are probably starting to think, oh, who do I want to do this for? And I would, my question is, are there any kind of situations or relationships where this might not be a good idea as a warning? Yes. So this is the the 30-day kindness challenge. Like I said, it's skill building for you and it is designed for a normal, maybe challenging relationship. If you are in one of those unusual situations, for example, you're in an abusive marriage, right? That is not what this is designed for. And actually it can be counterproductive because in, the, in an abusive situation, whether it's marriage or anything else, you often need to have firm boundaries you often need to have some wisdom applied of you know, getting pastoral care or help and how, does that, how do I put boundaries in place? And just a, a, a general attempt to do the 30-day kindness challenge for that could actually be counterproductive for that relationship. And it doesn't mean you're not kind because we're called, as I said, to always be kind. But the actual 30-day kindness challenge, I wouldn't do it for that relationship. Well, thank you for coming and sharing with us this morning. Um, we're up on the end of our time. I'm going to pray us off the stage. I think the worship team is going to come back and lead us in a song. So why don't you bow your heads in prayer with me. 
Father God, thank you again for this morning, for Jeff and Shanti, for their ministry, uh, for the truths that you've shown them uh, out of your word and how they play out in our lives and our relationships. Father, I pray that uh, where we've been convicted today, you would help us to be humble, uh, to begin to act and uh, respond to that. Father, I pray that you would show us where and how you have people in front of us uh, that you're calling us to look at and say, I'm going to be kinder. Um, And Father, as we do that, that you would empower us and equip us. And Father, through that, you would change us and help us to be what better witnesses for you to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.